Hi, I'm Rick Atkins, pastor here at CFCC. Welcome. We hope you enjoy this sermon and that God uses it to grow you in your relationship with Him. Before we get started, our goal is not to replace your investment in a local church with online content. We were made for community. We want to encourage you to engage in a local church with your gifts. See, when the people of God invest in the community of God, they experience the transformative power of God. And that is our hope and prayer for you. Again, thanks for joining us and we hope you enjoy the sermon. Well, good morning. Man, it is so good to be back with you guys, to see you guys this morning. Let me say welcome to all of you joining us online. We are in our series, The Kingdom is Near, The Kingdom is Here is how we changed it in the new year. The book of Nehemiah we have been studying through. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to uh, Nehemiah chapter 9. We have been in this series since, uh, well, this is week 14, just to give you a little clue. We've been in this series for a while. Uh, we've been working through the book of Nehemiah. We started last fall, and uh, we went all the way up until Christmas time. We took a little break, hit a little pause button there, and then got back into the book of Nehemiah at the beginning of this year, and uh, Lord willing, we will finish uh, our series and complete our study through the book of Nehemiah at the end of the month, so we have about three more weeks to go um, as we're studying through this, and that will lead us into kicking off where God is leading us in our kingdom campaign, our expansion project, and that big step of faith. And so while you're turning there in your Bible or on electronic device, Nehemiah chapter 9 again, I want to share a few things with you. Uh, one thing I'm really excited to share with you that... Uh, um, haven't been able for the last couple of weeks, but we've been putting it together and stuff. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, our Costa Rica team returned, um, and there are so many things that happened on that trip. I wish we had just the entire afternoon to share, uh, but we did our best to put some of those things in a little video, and so I want you to check out the screens.
This trip was uh, a really, really special trip. Um, God always does incredible, incredible works within our team's lives and the lives of those that we get to minister and be around with the church. It was another, another trip to really continue to build our partnership there with Pastor Demas and his family and the church. But this trip also took on another special aspect. And last year, um, we felt the call that God was leading us to do something pretty special for Pastor Demas and his family. And we had been doing it kind of behind the scenes and inviting those who have been on the trip and others inside our church and outside of our church to be a part of it. And we completed our task, our mission that we believe God had given us last year in this trip. This team got to share that. And that's what you saw at the end of the video there where Pastor Demas and the family was surrounded and they were crying. It's because we got to share with them that we raised enough money to build them a new house. Amen. I don't have time to share all the things that Pastor Demas and his family have given up to be pastors in Costa Rica, to share the gospel with as many people as they possibly can. He challenges me as a pastor. He challenges me in my faith and to be on a team and to be able to say that God used our church as a blessing, to be a blessing, that God used us as a conduit to his family. They've never owned anything in their life. They've sacrificed everything. They tore out the walls of their own house to make a place for their church to meet when they got kicked out of another place. The family lived in tents. The sacrifice that they have made just to share the gospel is overwhelming and inspirational. And so to be able to go and say, hey, our church raised over $52,000 to build you guys a new home. Amen? Amen? I'm incredibly humbled. Um, by our church's generosity, both inside and outside of our church family. I'm incredibly humbled, honored to be a part of a church who understands the, the work that God gives us. And I'm grateful, incredibly grateful and proud of our church. I'm proud of, of what we've been able to accomplish and to know that this is just a part of what we're doing in Costa Rica and what God's allowing us to do, that the gospel goes around the world and that the same God we serve and love and care for and and look to here, they look to there. And so it's just an incredible, an incredible trip, which leads me to invite you to go with us. I would love to have you go with us. Our next trip is in July, so it's coming. Um, and we're having an informational meeting in a couple weeks on a Sunday after service. Um, you can join us for that out in the student center. If you have questions, if you're thinking about it, you want to get some questions answered, this is the time to be there. We'll have some team members um, there you can share and talk with them. Uh, they would love to tell you about their experience, I'm sure. And so um, if you're interested, uh, again, I, I really believe that if you want to see the Bible come to life, you want to see the scripture come off the page in your life, go on one of these trips. I truly believe that. And uh, so I want to invite you to be a part of that. Uh, there are flyers in the back in the kiosk and out in the lobby. You can grab one of those on your way out if you want. Um, but again, in a couple weeks, we'll have a meeting. So join us for that. One other announcement as we, before we get into our text, um, the prayer handout as we are wrapping up our time in Nehemiah, uh, we're wrapping up our time of preparation because God is calling us to step in a very big step faithfully at the end of this month into our For the Kingdom expansion. And so the prayer handouts are there on the seats uh, and they're on, it's online as well. Um, but one of the things we're doing is over the next three Monday nights at our normal Monday night prayer gathering, we'll be focusing on this prayer guide. Uh, so the seven 
7th, the 14th, and the 21st. We're going to invite you to join us on Monday nights. Come join us. Pray with us. Um, we're here for about 45 minutes to an hour. Uh, we would have um, a time for us just to pray and share uh, where God is leading us. And so the 7th, the 14th, and the 21st, please, if you want to join us, we'd love to have you. Okay. Nehemiah chapter 9. We've only got 38 verses. All right. So we, we should be here and in and out pretty quick, right? 38 verses. Here we go. <laughs> Let's do a quick recap. If you're joining us for the first time, if you're new with us this morning or even online, first of all, we're honored. We're honored to have you join us and jump in with us in the book of Nehemiah chapter 9 here. Uh, I want to do a quick recap in the study. Let's remember where we're at in the story. Nehemiah is Jewish, but he is uh, serving in Persia. He is a cupbearer to the king. Um, and what we're reading here is this is after the exile. This is after Babylon. This after the Persian Empire has come and they've kind of laid waste to the city of Jerusalem. They've laid waste to God's city, to God's people. Nehemiah has been called. He's been commissioned that we see back in chapter 1 that we looked at last fall. He's been called to go and to restore the ruins of God's city, to build the wall, to protect the temple, all of that. And what we've seen amazingly in the last, that in less than two months that they accomplished uh, through great stress, opposition both inside of God's family, outside, which we looked at, they accomplished their task. They rebuilt the wall. And we would think that at, and that all happened at the end of chapter 6, beginning of chapter 7. And you would think, okay, the book's done. Like that was what was going to happen. They were going to build the wall. We can kind of end the book here that they've had this physical renewal because the wall was built, right? But then as we've seen the last few weeks, it doesn't stop there. And that's because Nehemiah is not just a book about restoration of a city, but it's a book about the restoration of God's people. And we're going to see that clearer today in chapter 9. And don't we just love stories of renewal? We love stories of recovery, of comeback, right, of restoration. The Olympics just kicked off. The Winter Olympics just kicked off. And I'm a, I'm a fan of watching the Olympics because of the time spent for these athletes to prepare for this one shot, right? But I, I love the watching the Olympics, too, because over the course of the broadcast, they will share the backstories of some of these athletes. And some of the backstories are about them coming back, like being in a place that they needed renewal, recovery, and restoration, and all that. And now they're here on this stage trying to succeed in their sport. And I think we love these kind of stories. I, I think we love these stories because we all, in some way, are longing for that spiritual renewal, that spiritual recovery within our lives. And in the gospel, we have God's way of recovery and renewal. And the good news is that whatever mess that we may have, whatever mess that our lives may be, we can begin. And for some, begin again. So if you feel stuck in the same patterns, you feel stuck in the same behaviors, and you can, for today, for you to hear that you can begin to get unstuck. You can begin again if you've stopped. So if you need a heart renewal, if you need gospel renewal, you think about it all the time. I've got to change. I've got to do things different. I've got to be different in my life. It's one of the deepest longings that I think we can have throughout our life. But, but you have no idea how to really make that happen in a real and lasting way. See, the good news about the book of Nehemiah is that it's, it's a book about a lot of things. But one of the most important things, it's a book about renewal. 
to show us where the light is in the darkness, which is a hope for our campus, is to be an ever-increasing bright light to a, a dark world and to the dark places of our lives and to all people, that 360-degree light, which is why we believe God's leading us to do what we're going to do, and that's expand our campus to reach all people. So in the text, in chapter 9, what we see here is the longest recorded prayer in the Bible outside of the Psalms. And it is a, a, a prayer, it's a plea really for renewal and help. But one of the things that you'll notice as you study through chapter 9 is that, that it's, not, it's, it's more about God than it is about the people. It's about, more about God's faithfulness and God's work and God's service to them than it is about the people themselves. To that point, though, it's important that we know about God. We know about his activity and service and ministry to us throughout history, which is why it's important for us to study these things because we are connected here. To see God at work, to see the steadfast love of God, it gives us hope and it gives us strength for our right now. And so we'll get into our text, which is broken really into three parts. Verses 1 through 5 really refocus the heart of God's people in confession and praise after the feast of celebration. Verses 6 through 37 is the prayer. And then in verse 38 is a recommitment. It's a promise to recommit. So let's look. Verses 1 through 5, Nehemiah chapter 9. Now on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. Verse 3. And they stood up in their place and they read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. For another quarter of it, they made confession and worshiped the Lord their God. Verse 4. On the stairs of the Levites stood Jeshua, Bani, Cadmiel, Shebaniah, Bunai, Sherebiah, Bani, and Chechaniah. And they cried with a loud voice to the Lord their God. Verse 5. Then the Levites, Jeshua, Cadmiel, Bani, Hashabaniah, Sherebiah, Hodiah, Shebaniah, Pethathiah, said, Stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. Can we take a moment and just think about how well I pronounced all those names? <laughs> you only knew how long I practiced those names. If we look back at chapter 8, if you were to look back at chapter 8, you'll see that the people were gathered under the word and they were attentive to it. And after that, they began a feast. They began celebrations. They have all these different celebrations they were to have. But what we're going to see again here in chapter 9 is that they're coming back to the word. And it shows us the importance of the word of God and the renewal of God's people. And that's going to be our theme this morning. And I'm not going to lie to you, it's a little heavy. And what we talk about from here on out until we finish with communion is a little heavy. It's a little weighty. But I think it's very important as Christians, as disciples, if that is who you call yourself, if who you are as a disciple following after Christ, it's good for us to have these moments of Scripture that cause us to pause. I mean, the title of the chapter is The People of Israel Confess Their Sin. 
right? So book, back at verse 1, it's the 24th day of the month, meaning the weeks have passed since that famous six-hour reading and preaching uh, from Ezra, from the book of the law. The festival season is now over, and, and again, the people, they've come back, they've gathered again under the word of God, and they've read the account of God's mercy and his faithfulness again, and now they are mourning, they're humbled, they're genuine in their desperation for God. Right? We see a renewed repentance here, which then leads them to a time of prayer, which we get through the rest of this chapter, this corporate confession of sin together in prayer. And so when we ask ourselves, we think about how can we be renewed? How can we experience renewal? Where does that even begin? Over and over again, this is the story of God's people, right? That these are people just like us, which I said earlier. And Nehemiah 9 reminds us that renewal begins by going back to the basics. Going back to the basics. What did they do? They gathered under God's word, which gives what? It gives fresh vision of two things. When you're back under the word of God and you sit under the word of God and you allow the word of God to read you and to speak to you, you and I are aware now of two things, a, re, a refresh of two things that are so critically important in our walk with God. And th those two things are, are simply this, who God is and who we are. Very simple. We overcomplicate it sometimes. But this awareness is critical to walk as a disciple of Christ in grace, in love, in mercy, who God is and who we are, which is what the people are experiencing as they've now gathered back up under the word to remind themselves of who they are and who God is. And in verse 2, it tells us that they separated themselves. And it, on the surface, it sounds like, well, that doesn't seem very loving that doesn't seem very inclusive. That doesn't, like we're supposed to be in to those groups that aren't like us, that, that, that think differently. But in this moment, this was more about who they were as a people. This was more about their identity. It says they separated themselves. They separated themselves from the foreign voices, the influences that would have assimilated them and taken them away from their identity as God's children. They've stepped away from that to make sure that they do what? They stay the course because that's God's design, right? That they're different from the nations around them. If you study the Old Testament, you'll, you'll see that God called them out. He calls us out, right? That we are to be set apart. And that's what's happening right here. All these other groups around them in this region were filled with people uh, worshiping idols, false gods, and so in this moment, they separate themselves so that, the, so that them together in their identity and the voice that they hear is God's and not anything else. They would be apart, set apart as my people. This is similar to what Jesus gave us in John 17 in the high priestly prayer. I'll just read it real quick for you. Jesus says this, verses 14 to 17, he says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. 
It's about our identity. It's about where you and I understand who we are and who he is, right? This is about our identity, that no one and nothing else will take the place of our identity in Christ, that we are valuable and have worth because of Jesus in our life. So this isn't harsh in the sense that they separated themselves. It's what God has called us to do, to be set apart, to know who we are so we're not caught up in the lies and deceit of the world. And so Nehemiah chapters 9 and 10, there's this promise, this covenant with the names that you would see listed in chapter 10. If you were to look real quick at chapter 10, the first 27 verses are nothing but names. This is the history of God's people, which then we get to verse 3, and we see just how central sitting under God's word in reading and in listening and in studying so now we see the work of the word in humble confession. The Hebrew text says they confessed and bowed down. So here's what happens in verse 3. If you look at it again, it says, They stood up in their place and they read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. For another quarter of it they made confession and worshiped the Lord their God. The Hebrew, again, the Hebrew text says that they confessed and they bowed down. So for half of the day, what do we do? We see the people standing and listening to the word of God. And then humbly bow and confess sin. So what does that speak to us? It says to us that it is the word of God that serves as the catalyst for the confession of sins. It's the word of God that serves as a catalyst that you and I, as we study it, it will be the catalyst for to lead us into a posture of humility to confess our sins. There's, there's an old famous quote that says, you know, sin will keep you from the Bible or the Bible will keep you from sin. Because that's what it leads. That's what it speaks to us. And when we sit up under it, it leads to humility and confession. I mean, look at the psalmist's words, Psalm 119, verses 9 through 12. He writes, how can a young man keep his way pure? Look what he says, by guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. So the thing here in Nehemiah is echoing what we're learning through the Psalms and, and what we would learn through all of the Bible. And did you notice that this action, every action, there, there's confession and there is worship. They're crying out with a loud voice in verse 4. There's praise to God in verse 5. Blessed be your glorious name. And then there's confession. And that's what we see in verses 6 through 37. The prayer, there's confession. Everything it flows from, it's produced by, and it's a direct consequence of what? Gathering under God's word. And that's not just in corporate settings like this, but in your home, at your workplace, in your car, sitting up under God's word, allowing it to speak, to strengthen, to be your refuge, to expand our understanding, our knowledge of who God is and who we are, but then also to grow our affection for Jesus. This is a renewal built upon treasuring God's word. So you want renewal. You find yourself stuck. Like I mentioned earlier, you're stuck. You want change. You want things to be different. It needs to be different, but you don't know how to go about it. Go to the word. 
Start with the word, treasure God's word. So we see the pattern, right? There is reading, there is preaching of the word, there is renewal, right? There is worship, there's confession, there's prayer. And so word, confession, worship, renewal. So my question is for all of us, do we have a hunger for God's word? Do we have a hunger for God's word? Like the psalmist says, teach me. There's a hunger there. Are you and I, are we being nourished? Are we, are we being strengthened and built up by the word of God? Is that where we're finding our strength? Is that where we're finding our, our hope, our comfort? Or is it somewhere else? Where does renewal begin? It begins by the reading of God's word and putting ourselves under the authority and the ministry of God's word. That's where it begins. That's the first thing. And listen, here's the good news. If we are not doing that, you can begin. You can start. And if you've stopped doing it, you can begin again. That's always an option. Don't let the world or the devil or your flesh tell you you can't start if you've stopped. You can begin again. Now, understand with me, as the word is being read, the people being confronted with the word, they would have had a fresh vision of who we are, who they are, and who God is, right? Of who we are, they have heard the history of God's people. It was dark. It was messy. If you study this, if you look at chapter 9, if you study any of it, you'll see it's dark, it's messy, it's not all put together, it's not all clean, it's not all roses. And what else have they heard? They've heard about who God is. And what is God and who is God? He's merciful, he's faithful, he's steadfast. In describing the Old Testament, one author says, the story of the Old Testament is grace Pursue, pursues those who aren't looking for it, who don't deserve it, who continually resist it, and who don't even appreciate it after they've been changed by it. This is, this is what's happening with God's people in this chapter, that they're being awakened to some of this in their life. Another commentator said this chapter shows us in their confession, here's what they realized, that they've received everything but appreciated nothing. That's powerful. That's, pow that's introspective for us. Do we realize we've received everything? And then how do we respond to that? How have we reacted to that? Do we appreciate it? Are we grateful? Are we humbled by it? And here's the beauty, that grace still comes to us. No matter how we respond to it, even if it's the wrong way, the grace of God is still there. Like it still comes for us. Then we get into the prayer, verses 6 to 37. And this prayer really is a narrative of the spiritual history of God's people. It's a quick summary, if you will. It's in, and we're not only in union with Jesus. This is important for us to know. We are in union with his people, with, with his people. And so Christians are tied and linked to the people of God in the Old Testament, right? And we know that their story was not always a pretty story, like a lot of us. They had plenty of messes, but God never gave up on them. He loved his people with all of those blemishes, with all of that rebellion and stumblings. He kept and he continues that steadfast love to his people. 
And we don't have time to really get into all, all the contents of the prayer closely, to which everybody said, praise God. But look with me for a moment at the prayer. It really is a history lesson. So, so if you've never read anything of the Old Testament, if you've never opened the Bible in the front cover and moved through the Old Testament or read through the Old Testament, here is a really quick summary of the things that happened through the Old Testament. Verse 6 covers creation. Verses 7 and 8 cover the covenant with Abraham. He'd be blessed to be a blessing, right? Verses 9 to 12 covers God's faithfulness at the time of the Exodus. Verses 13 and 14 covers Mount Sinai. Verses 15 to 21 covers the wilderness years. So that's the water from the rock. That's the bread from heaven. Verse 21 is a summary of the wilderness years that for 40 years God's people were sustained by God, not by themselves. That's God's faithfulness, his steadfast love for them, care for them, mercy for them. Verses 22 to 25 cover the conquest. Verses 26 to 29 covers the judges. And verse 30 and 40 is the exile to Assyria and Babylon and the return to the promised land under Ezra and Nehemiah. There is a rich chronicled history of creation and provision and mercy and blessing and long-suffering. It's a historical record, but it also does one other thing for us. It contrasts who God is and who we are. That's why I said it's a central theme of this chapter. And you can see that in the pronouns of the prayer. Look again. Just look through the 6 to 37. Just glance over it. It's the you versus they. And that's all over the prayer, right? Verse 6 says, begins with, you are the Lord, you alone. And that carries on throughout the prayer. You preserve the earth and the seas. You have kept your promise. You are a God ready to forgive. Let that sink in. He said, God, ready to forgive. You think God can't forgive you yet? The scripture teaches us that he's ready. He's ready. And then in contrast, we see the word they. And it's used talking about the people of God. They and our fathers, verse 16, acted presumptuously and stiffened their necks. They refused to obey, basically. They acted did not obey your commands. All throughout the prayer, this back and forth between the faithfulness of God and the failure of God's people. This was their confession, their, their, their understanding, their recognition of who they are and who the people before them were and who God is. And so as we look at this prayer of Old Testament history, we get a true sense, really, of the mercy of God. That's, the, that's what I said at the beginning, that as you study this, it's not so much about the people but it's about who God is to the people, who God is to us. And when we get this sense of who God is and his mercy, we can correctly, with the right lens, understand our own falling short. It's humbling. It introduces us again to ourselves. I know the person in the mirror. I believe you know the person in the mirror. Sometimes we don't want to own who the person in the mirror is. But when we study this and we look at this and we see that this is what the word is to do for us, to help us, to humble us to ourselves because it highlights who God is and who we are and who God is to us. Now we all know that we're all prone throughout our lives to trust in our own strength. I'm prone to trust in my own ability in my own wisdom, in my own uh, you know, 
uh, skill set, all of those things, my own, my own faithfulness. I'm, I'm prone to trust him. I mean, it's a chronic thing, right? And we need to be humbled of that, which is why we always need grace, which is great when you read that God's ready to forgive. He's ready to present grace all the time because I need it all the time. We never get over grace. This is us. This is our prayer, right? We can be inconsistent. We can have ingratitude. We can fall short. We can fail. This is us. And much of the Christian life is learning to actually believe the language in this prayer. That's why it's such a powerful thing. Much of the Christian life is actually letting these words be the words that lead us home. Take us home. The prayer reminds us that you have made heaven and earth. You have kept your promise. Again, you are a God ready to forgive. Have you thought about that about God? When, when you and I, when you fall short, when I fall short, I'll, I'll confess, I don't know, when I fall short, I don't know how quick I am to, to remember that God's ready to forgive. Because that's not how people in my life react when I fall short. Like, they're not standing there, like, like, like looking at me with this intensity, like, I'm ready to, let, to forgive you. And sometimes I'll take that and I'll project that onto who God is. But that's not who God is, which is, again, why we study God's word. To know who he is and not to project things onto him that isn't true. This scripture says God's ready to forgive. So when we sin, that grace is ready. Those are the words that lead us home. Those are the words that take us home. To get those words to be the words that lead us out of hiding. That's what leads us out of hiding. Unconfessed sin takes us into hiding. When you and I don't confess the things that we've done wrong in our lives, we hide that was from the beginning when Adam and Eve sinned. When, when sin came in, in the fall, what did they do? They, they hid from God. So that's a part of who we are. So, so this allows us to come out of hiding. God's been faithful when we've been unfaithful. God's been loving when we've been lukewarm. God's been committed when we've been apathetic. Awareness, who he is and who we are. Has it been a long time since we went to God with empty hands? With a sincere, specific, realistic confession of sin. God, this, this, is, this is what I've done. God knows. You know that about him. I know that about him. He knows. But he wants to have that moment with us. Because he wants to, he wants to set us free from it. God, this is what I've done. He's ready to forgive. See, do you have a desire to be transformed a longing for renewal. Well, the road to renewal is not only getting under the word of God, but it's to humbly confess our sin. The road to renewal is godly sorrow. It's sorrow because it's remorse. There's regret. I feel bad. But it's godly because it goes to God. And so if there is an absence of renewal, what do we do? We pray. We confess. And if you need to begin, you can today. And if you stopped, you can begin again. Listen, God never left us. God hasn't disappeared. God hasn't walked away from us. God hasn't left you. Even in the mess or the rebellion or the things that have separated you even farther 
the, the dirt and the mire and the muck and, the, and, and all the things that, would, that we would put upon ourselves to call ourselves unlovable, unforgivable, all those things, God is still right there ready to forgive. Verse 38, because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing. On the sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. This is renewal. It's a renewed promise, a renewed covenant. We're coming back to the promise, coming back to the mission. Because of all that God has done, they are returning to Jerusalem from exile, and they commit themselves anew, afresh to God. Maybe that's, that's you. You've been in exile for a while, and you need to come back. Now's the time. Today's the day to come home. There's a sense here of a new beginning, right? You see the pattern. There is the word, there's confession, and there's renewal. All that they had been doing for the last few weeks and few months together, they, they were nourished, they were strengthened, they were built up by what? By the word, by God's word. And it brought them to this point, and they want to start fresh with their faithful God because they're reminded of who he is and who we are. They want to start fresh. Is that a longing that you have? Is that a longing that we have? Do you sense that need to start, to begin again maybe, or to start new? Maybe your story isn't very good. Maybe your story isn't pretty. I've never met really anybody who did have a really pretty story. Maybe in a moment of life they looked okay. Maybe you have your mess. Maybe it's broken. But don't ever assume, please, please, don't ever assume it's too dark. Don't ever assume that it's too messy or it's too late or it's too much for your God to be faithful and forgive. Don't ever think that you're too far gone. Don't let the world or the devil tell you you're too far gone, that God's grace can't reach into the depths of where you believe you are. Don't let the world or your own flesh tell you that you can't be saved, that you can't be reclaimed, that you can't have renewal. Don't let them say that because right here, the Bible tells us that God's ready. He's ready. Come home. Come home. You don't have to be good enough. See, that's part of the issue, right? Part of the issue is we always think, man, if I just get this part right, then I'll be ready. And yet God still stands there with his hands wide open. You don't have to be good enough. But here's what you got to do. you got to trust that he is good enough. He is. He is. There's a story that Jesus tells in the New Testament but a father and a couple of sons. I'll just read you one line, ending line. While he was still a far way off, his father saw him, and he ran and he embraced and kissed him. That's renewal. That's renewal. Sinking deeper into the love of Christ is renewal. Do you, do you need that? Do we need that today? Come ye weary, heavy laden, lost and ruined by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, 
you will never come at all. That's an invitation for all of us to come home. It's an invitation for all of us to come to the communion table. So if you grab your little communion cup, we will close in communion. If you go ahead and open up that top piece, the little white wafer, a representation of the body of Christ given in full submissive to be the payment to take the wrath that you and I deserve. And as you and I continue to grow in our awareness of who God is and who we are, this becomes even more special and powerful for us. The closer we get to God through the study of his word, the reading, the illumination by the spirit in our life, the more we see the cross get bigger and bigger because the greater the divide gets between how holy and righteous and beautiful and majestic and powerful and merciful and loving God is and just how sinful we are. And the cross gets bigger and bigger and it gets more and more beautiful. And this moment in time that Christ has commanded us, you know, he gave us this for a purpose, for you and I to hit the pause button. And I hope that, that as you've spent time with us and I, as I've gotten the privilege to lead us in communion, a time where we reflect and remember. It's an honor. It truly is an honor to do this. But my hope is that, that you and I together will, will recognize that this isn't just a ritual that Christians do. This isn't just something that has to be put into the liturgy or the, the way of a church, but this is given on purpose and with meaning. Sometimes you and I, we get really high on our horse. And when we're up there, that fall is hard, and it hits hard. And sometimes this moment, this pause is to bring us back down, to humble us. Sometimes this pause is to, is to remind us of what we've forgotten. There is no one greater. There is nothing greater than Jesus Christ. Your hands what you need to hold on to more than anything in this world is Jesus. And sometimes this pause is to remind us of that because we've taken our hands off of Jesus and put it on the something or someone else. We are called to love others. But we can't love others if we don't love Jesus. And so sometimes this is a pause to remind us of what we've forgotten. And it should move us. For some, it should break us. This is a moment of confession. This is a moment of say, I can't do this, but I know you can. So as you look at this wafer, let's go back. Think about Jesus going to the cross. Think about what he's done and what he's given. There was nothing left. He gave it all. Let's take this.
and go ahead and open the bottom half of your cup. And as you do that, again, the juice, a symbol, a representation of the purest blood the world has ever seen, the blood of the Son of God, given freely. My hope is that when you open this, wherever you are, whenever you have a moment of communion, where you reflect on the work of Christ on the cross, when you get to the juice, that you truly take a moment and you allow your eyes to shut and your mind to see the blood flowing from the crown of thorns, the blood flowing from the scourged back, the blood flowing through the wrist and the feet. As he was nailed to a cross, you see the blood flowing, the pure, precious blood of the unblemished lamb, the lamb of God. And you recognize and you have a moment of clarity, that was to be me. But while I was a sinner, he loves me. He demonstrated that. I see it. So while no one else may love me or I don't feel loved by anyone else, Jesus loves me. And that is a love that's greater than any love I could ever have. That you just have your eyes closed as you just see Jesus seeing you. And knowing, church, that when we get home, because we're going home, there's going to be a homecoming. When we get home, we have that embrace with our Savior, the scars, the scars, how humbled, how grateful, how loved. Let's take this. Father, thank you. Thank you for the word, for the promise. For the finished work we praise Jesus he is worthy we take our, our grip off of other things and we, and we grab hold of him today maybe a little tighter maybe for some for the first time the repentance and faith and belief in Christ God keeping our eyes and our head up looking to that homecoming that one day one day we'll be home. Let me find strength and comfort, hope. God, we love you. For you love us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.